God said together, Amen. Now you know that it's a Pentecost sermon because it has three folders. Look, yellow, red, and orange. You see, I know. See, this is a powerful sermon, Lester. Make sure you listen to this one today, okay? Okay, thanks. I'm going to show you this video first. Get you thinking. Sometimes I get pretty frustrated with myself. I have been following Christ for a while now. At least it feels that way. I have a pretty good idea of who God is as my Father. I know He created me. I know He loves me no matter what. And I understand how Jesus has redeemed me and become my Savior. But when it comes to the Holy Spirit, I have to honestly say I have a lot of unanswered questions. It just doesn't seem to work for me. I look at other Christians, and they seem to know exactly who the Holy Spirit is. The only problem is that one person's image of the Holy Spirit looks completely different than the next person's. They seem to have it all figured out. But I have questions. I read in the Bible where Jesus says, We will receive power when the Holy Spirit comes on me but I don't know that I have ever felt that power. Jesus said we would do greater things than he did, but I have never come close to raising someone from the dead. What does power mean? In the book of Acts, the people closest to Jesus heal people with their shadows. Should I be able to do that? Should I be able to tell when people are lying to me? What is this speaking in tongues thing, really? I have seen some people do things under the power of the Spirit that makes me think, I don't want that power. But maybe my concept of power is different from God's. Maybe the things the Holy Spirit gives me power for are not sensational. What if when Jesus said we would do greater things than him, he was talking about the way we live our lives, the decisions we make, the words we speak? What if the Holy Spirit is so powerful that he is the source in every Christ follower, no matter how different that looks? Spirit gives me the power to decrease so that God can increase. Fifty days after Passover, for us, after Easter. It was the celebration of God's law given to Moses on Mount Sinai. Don't lose that fact. And as we celebrate the day of Pentecost, we we mark the coming of the Holy Spirit. You're welcome to follow along in your Bible up on the screen or in the YouVersion Bible event set up for this day. When the day of Pentecost had come, they were all together in one place. Today we move from the promise of the Spirit as advocate and comforter 
made by Jesus in John in his goodbyes, we've talked about the last couple weeks, to a powerful birth of a spirit-filled community that's empowered to live its mission into the world. On the surface, we know Pentecost to be about tongues of fire and doves and special decorations and music sometimes. We even talked about in staff this week and amongst ourselves about flash paper, you know, that we use during Ash Wednesday. And we all should have above our heads and we all should light a piece of flash paper all at the same time and watch it all just go up at the same time. A few would be injured, but not all of you would be injured. It would be okay. We'd have fire extinguishers. It, it would be great. It was Davis's idea, not mine. <laughs> Instead, we have to move past all of that. We have to embrace the heart of the Spirit's work in the community and how they were empowered. You see, the Pentecost experience is a compelling story from the beginning. It seems convenient the entire community is gathered together in one place, just like today. But the reason becomes clear when Luke reminds us that Pentecost was already an existing pilgrimage feast where the Jews would come together once again in Jerusalem occurring 50 days after Passover. They would always do this. It wasn't about the Holy Spirit coming at that point. And the work of the Holy Spirit here completes the Trinity, which we're going to talk about next Sunday on Trinity Sunday. Wow, imagine that. As we begin our new sermon series for the entire summer, how sweet the sound, remembering great hymns of the faith. And we look at the top seven songs of all time. And no, we're not going to tell you what those are. I'm not going to give you any hints because you'll Google it. I can't trust you people. <laughs> One of my friends doing a summer series and gave hints out. said, don't Google it. I'm like, I'm not even doing that. I don't know. I know you people. I've seen you. You Google when I ask questions. Debbie Taylor. Okay. But we're going to be surprised by them. And after the reveal, we'll, we'll make the list of them. And there's going to be a whole slew of guest preachers this summer who everybody... Uh, Jared's going to preach for us this summer. Davis is going to preach. Rick's going to preach. Louise is going to preach. Everybody wanted to preach. I'm like, okay, let's do it. And they've all chosen out of the top seven their favorite. So they're preaching about the song that's their favorite and what it means to them and to their family or to whatever. It's going to be a good summer. And if we look closely at this familiar text from Acts 2, it really shows three signs, imagine that, that work that the work of the Spirit does through us and empowers us to do. And those three unique signs are wind and fire and inspired speech. Say that with me. Wind, fire, and inspired speech. No, no, there is no earth, so there's no earth, wind, and fire. It's just wind and fire and inspired speech. But those three things are present here. And the first sign of what the power of the Spirit does through us is wind. Say wind. Ooh, there was some wind there. I could feel it. It's just wind. The word itself, it actually, the word itself is almost like what it is, isn't it? Wind. See, in verse 2, Luke is careful to say that the noise they heard was like a violent wind. It was not like we brought in giant fans, what I've done before, by the way, and brought in giant fans and brought, and the wind was just so overpowering. That's not what it was. But it was like a violent wind. And suddenly from heaven there came a sound like the rush of a violent wind, and it filled the entire house where they were sitting. So it's important to notice how Luke avoids saying the wind was blowing. So there wasn't any real wind, and it wasn't like the big breeze all of a sudden came up, and so it was like a storm was coming through, and, you know, it was natural. It wasn't anything like that. The Greek word used here, pneuma, often means breath rather than wind. Pneuma, pneumatic. Pneumonia. <laughs> That's your world, isn't it? And Luke emphasizes it's the noise filling the house, not actual wind. And notice the sound and the wind didn't just fill part of the house. The spirit of God's love and power 
fills the entire house, everywhere, not just the apostles, the originals, sitting in a room somewhere, the entire house, which is probably maybe a hundred people, gathered together, gathered everywhere, who are following Jesus. And Luke invokes images and descriptions used in the Hebrew scriptures to describe the conceit, consistent with how God has revealed God's self in the Hebrews' past. We see the same connection here of Ezekiel 37, where noise and breath are mentioned together. It's the passage of the dry bones. The Spirit of God blows over the dry bones and fills them with new life. The dry bones spring to life because of the power contained in God's breath. And the symbolism fits so well into the Holy Spirit because of the new creation. And the wind, they illustrate the mysterious power of the Spirit in bringing new life and new birth. It's the same breath of God we first saw in Genesis in the creation story when God breathed life into Adam in part of that story. Or the parting of the Red Sea in Exodus when the strong wind came and separated the waters. And now that same breath blows upon us as through God's Spirit at Pentecost for them and for us. Anyone who has asthma, who has ever struggled to breathe for whatever reason, knows that breath is life. Not being able to breathe, I mean really not being able to breathe, is one of the scariest things. Breath is life. The second sign of what the power of the Spirit does through us is fire. Say fire. Fire. We've said a few things on fire around here before, like the song says. Fire was the symbol of God's divine presence. Divided tongues as of fire appeared among them, and a tongue rested on each of them. Fire was a familiar metaphor used to describe the physiological experience of prophetic inspiration. They're receiving something about prophecy, something prophetic, a real change. We see it in the burning bush with Moses in Exodus 3. The pillar of fire that guided Israel by night through the wilderness in Exodus 13. The consuming fire on Mount Sinai in Exodus 24 that Pentecost originally celebrated fires throughout this whole understanding of Pentecost's. Even John the Baptist explicitly links the coming of the Spirit with the fire. Earlier in Luke when he said, He will baptize you with the Holy Spirit and fire. See, it was already, already foretold. And the gift of the Spirit was not given as one blazing flame hanging over the whole community. It's not how it came. Each person in the community, not just the one room, each person in the community experienced a tongue of fire, a tongue of flame. And we see here that a tongue of fire rested or settled on each of them, not just all of them. That's important. That's an important distinction to understand. Much like we saw in our video at the beginning, this means the Holy Spirit can rest on each of us individually, differently, Every one of those light bulbs was different. But they all had the same source. Amen? They're all shaped differently. They all work differently. But they all had the same source. In contrast to the chaotic, chaotic nature of the sound in verse 2, in that loud noise, here the tongue is resting. Is resting a loud word? No. Resting. The word itself is almost calming in itself. Resting. As though it was claiming each person in the community individually by resting on them. You see, we were designed and empowered to fulfill a specific purpose for God. Every one of us has something different that God has empowered us to do. 
So we need specific guidance that is tailor-made. Now, most of us don't have a tailor anymore, but it used to be all your clothes were tailor-made. They were made for you. That's why you went to a tailor, not to Walmart to pick up the next thing that was manufactured in China that may or may not fit you in the right way, but you wear it anyways. The Spirit is tailor-made for each person. And because of the Holy Spirit rests on each one of us, we have the power and the promise to do just that. Whatever it is the Spirit tells us to do and guides us to do, we are given the individual ability and empowerment to do that. You see, the Spirit's coming to work in them and us means we no longer have excuses or reasons for why we can't do that. We do this all the time. Well, I can't do that. Well, you're right. You can't do that. Well, you know, God's asking me to do this. I can't do that. You're right. You can't. But if God's asking you to do it, the Spirit will give you the strength to do it. That's how it works. Otherwise, what's the point of the Spirit? If we can do it ourselves, then why do we need the third person of the Trinity to be able to help us? You see, the Spirit gives us that power. And there's one other word in this verse that we can't overlook, which is tongues. If fire is a symbol, the divine presence of God, then tongues of fire means that God is present and actively involved in how we communicate the gospel. When we say we don't know how to share our faith, that is right. We do not know how to share our faith. But the Spirit does know how to speak to us to share our faith. There are moments in time when you just say words you have no idea where they come from. When you say those words automatically, it pretty much tells you they're not of you. They come from outside of us if we allow them to come and don't let our fear or our self-confidence or self-esteem or lack of knowledge or understanding keep us from listening to how the Spirit is trying to direct us. Now this is not talking about the spiritual gift of speaking in tongues. This passage is not about that at all. The other languages are simply that. They are other languages. Real Human languages. And it remembers how God questioned Moses in Exodus 4. Remember Moses who stutters, who can't speak, who wants his brother to do everything for him. He doesn't want to be a leader. I can't do that. I don't talk right. And God says to him, Who gave man his mouth? Is it not I, the Lord? Now God, I will, now I will help you speak and will teach you what to say. Now God, I, God, will help you. To speak and teach you what to say. Six years I've held on to this for this moment. When I was growing up, I was a stutterer. The reason I don't say your name at communion is I can't roll off my tongue fast enough. I will get stuck. I cannot say C's and R's together. If I speak too fast, my words will get jumbled up. There are times when you might almost catch me doing it, and I can hide it very well. I never thought, never having done any public speaking, even in college, that I'd ever be up every Sunday and other times speaking the Word of God. It is God who does that. It is not me. That's how it works. You can do things you don't think you're capable of doing. And you can still do them even when you think you're not capable of doing them. You still do them. There are many days that I wake up and go, I do not know what I am doing. But God help me to be able to lead into a place that I don't understand or don't know where to go. And with the coming of the Holy Spirit, we're fully empowered with the element of speech that gives us the ability to be able to communicate the gospel effectively and how God wants us to communicate it. And it says, All of them were filled with the Holy Spirit and began to speak in other languages as the Spirit gave them ability. And as powerful as this imagery is and continues to be as it inspires and challenges us at each Pentecost, we might wonder why we only have four verses of this. 
Author Robert W. Wall suggests that Luke's intention is to bring the focus on the Spirit's effects, not what the Spirit actually does in this moment in time, but what is the Spirit, what are the effects of that on the community's mission, not the spectacle. Yeah, we can make the spectacle. We can have pyrotechnics. I told Tracy the day, I said, keep us some sparklers in your guitars and stuff. And, you know, can we have sparks fly your keyboard, Dana? That would be awesome. She said, probably only once and probably not so good. Fire in the, we did have fire in the drumsticks, only one apparently, because one of them didn't seem to be working. So I, I feel bad about that. It's not about the spectacle. It's about the mission. How did the Holy Spirit's presence and coming affect the mission of what they were supposed to do. Which leads us to the third sign. The third sign of what the power of the Spirit does through us is inspired speech. Say inspired speech. Verse 4 tells us that all of them were filled with the Holy Spirit. The Holy Spirit has many functions in the life of the believer. But in this Pentecostal experience, the Spirit takes on the role of communicator. The same is true for us that the Spirit empowers us, not only power and authority, but also the ability. The ability to do whatever it is that God is asking us to do. The ability the Spirit gives us is the way we're empowered to do ministry. What ability do we need to, need to be able to have in order for the Spirit to be able to do its work? God will give us that ability. And at this sound, the crowd gathered and was bewildered because each one heard them speaking in the native language of each. There was no indication before this verse that there was a crowd. Presumably it was another ordinary day until the sound of languages filled the air. Imagine hearing the sound of all different languages filling the air in the same place in space. Everything progresses in a clear pattern in contrast to the chaos of the wind and the visuals. First we imagine the gathering. Then we find out the gathering is at a house. And then suddenly we learn a crowd has formed around this gathering. And amazed and astonished, they asked, are not all of these who are speaking Galileans? Now there is the slightest hint of judgment and surprise here because the Galileans were not known for their language. And the ability. We're reminded of a similar sentiment about Jesus' hometown. Can anything good come from Nazareth? No. That was the, the answer was already there. <laughs> They're asking the question because nothing could come good. And the gift of the Spirit, the gift of understanding and interpretation, is also coming to those from an unlikely place. The Galileans of all people are the ones who have this gift. See, even they're not excluded for their ignorance and their lack of education. And how is it that we hear each of us in our own native language? Here we see yet another example of God empowering those within a specific context. God is using real people to do God's work. And in order to understand what all of these crazy words are we're about to mention in a minute from all these places in the world, I want you to watch this video and get a clearer sense of what this really means. What happened that day when the Spirit arrived, when the Holy Spirit came? What happened then? It got loud, loud enough to be heard all over town. Fire appeared, divided and dispersed to each of them. The outsiders came running, and they heard the fire talkers tell of God's mighty works in their own language. Parthians, Medes, Elamites, people from Mesopotamia, Judea, Cappadocia, Pontus, Asia, Phrygia, Pamphylia, Egypt, Libya, Rome, Jews, proselytes, Cretans, and Arabians. The Spirit had come to describe the glory of God in their native tongues through those who followed Christ. These representatives of the world stood astounded but curious, bewildered but ready. Then Peter showed them from the scripture exactly what it meant. 
revealing God's promise to all who trust in Jesus. And many believed, and many repented, and many were baptized, and many were saved. The Spirit had come. The church was born. See all the places they came from? All those places listed out? All those lines from all over the known world. In the long and specific list, people in the area notice that Luke even includes the visitors to the region. In the giving of the Spirit, the boundaries between resident and visitor are broken. You see all that listed there. The gift of the Spirit does not discriminate. You see, here in this Pentecost experience, there is a reversal of the Tower of Babel, that that Old Testament story that many of us learned as children. And now the disciples, through the confusion of languages, understand one another's languages. Luke is saying that this Pentecost, this new birth, will be for all people. And what are the reactions of the bystanders? They're surprised, bewildered, they sneered or made fun. What reaction do you think you would have had if you'd been in that moment? How would you have responded to what was going on all around you? But Peter, standing with the eleven, raised his voice and addressed them, Men of Judea and all who live in Jerusalem, let this be known to you and listen to what I say. Indeed, these are not drunk, as you suppose, for it is only nine o'clock in the morning. Even we don't get drunk at nine o'clock in the morning. Which apparently leaves a lot of things open, doesn't it? This introduces a pattern in the book of Acts of frequent misunderstanding. And many times through Acts they have to explain what's happening, and why it's happening. And so that's why Peter says this, In the last days it will be, God declares, I'll pour my spirit upon all flesh, and your sons and your daughters shall prophesy, and your young men shall see visions, and your old men shall dream dreams. And then skipping ahead, Then everyone who calls the name of the Lord shall be saved. He's quoting from Joel 2, 28-32. That whole piece right there to his fellow Israelites in his sermon, to help connect them to God's prior work and show how now fulfillment of God's promise has come. In this moment, it's all fulfilled. What Joel talked about has just happened. It's showing the way of continuing in God's grand reversal and valuing the entire community. These aren't Christians that are coming and hearing this in native languages. They are coming from the pagan world all around, regardless of social, economic status, or what country they're from. On the day of Pentecost, God's Spirit was shared in a way that led to those outside the community understanding God in a whole new way, but also in specific contextual languages which they are most familiar. Can you imagine them speaking, which you know they're Galilean, speaking to you in your own language? Like many of the folks who, like yesterday, are Spanish speakers. We had four or five people who speak Spanish here. And when somebody comes and their native language is Spanish, it's a whole lot easier to communicate together. And I'm sure it makes them feel more comfortable to be able to communicate fully with their words, not trying to scrape together enough English to make it happen That's how God works. The power and the clarity was given to those who were gathered together was spread among them all. They all received the fire so they could be able to do that to everybody who was gathered there for that Pentecost time. Rather than imparted to a select few to enhance their community at the expense of those who had not experienced the love of God. People who are coming had not experienced the love of God yet. They needed to hear the love of God in their own language. In their own way. It's a lesson for us. We don't get to decide who is in and who is out. We are to show love of God to all those around us. Amen? On this day of Pentecost, the church is called to continue in the prophetic call of love and justice in the community as those who are empowered by a loving God. As we hear and tell the story again this year, we too are asked to speak in our own languages, perhaps learning to develop that language deeper and and in a more Christ-like way to be shared to others. Are the words that you speak in your own language, are they Christ-filled? Are they you-filled? Are they hurtful? 
Are they helpful? Are they discouraging or are they encouraging and empowering? It's about the radical, inclusive love of God, and it is radical. It doesn't sort any of that out. That's not our job. Our job is to love. And the Pentecost experience of the first believers was more than an ecstatic encounter with the Holy Spirit because it was important. The first acts of the New Testament church, as reported in the book of Acts, are strongly tied to the Old Testament. We just don't know it. Because we don't know the Old Testament that well to be able to connect back to all those stories. But if you do, like the things we've mentioned today, you see very clearly that all of a sudden how all of this is lined up and how it all makes sense all the way through with images of wind and fire and echoing the story of of Babel and the flood and the giving of the law and the drawing of the vision of the prophets together. Because all of this shows the continuity with who God is and what God is doing. It didn't just start on Pentecost. It started at the beginning. And it's worked its way all the way through in this bigger, grander story. And it helped the first Jewish believers to see the works of God were connected from the beginning all the way until that moment. And their eyes were opened. The Pentecostal experience is important because people from many languages and cultures ethnicities were reached and that tells us the spirit empowers us for loving god and loving our neighbor amen those are the two big things jesus says love god and love our neighbor there are no qualifications when jesus was asked who a neighbor was he didn't say this person this person and this person he said basically through his stories everyone everyone is your neighbor everyone And yesterday, we served all kinds of people who are our neighbors. We didn't check their cards at the door. We didn't ask what they believed. We didn't ask if they're heterosexual or homosexual. We didn't ask whether they were black or white, though you can tell those things. We didn't ask anything about their income level. We didn't ask about whether they wasted their money or they used their money wisely. We didn't do any of that. We just served whoever came with the love of God. Lester, did you ask every single person in this room about you know, what particularly they're bad about and everything else? No. You loved on them. You heard stories, I'm sure, are heartbreaking. And people who need prayer more than anything else in the world, not somewhere, some other place where they're condemned for whatever lifestyle that they live. That's not what we're about. That's not what we do. We don't take pictures of everybody else who's coming in because that's kind of, you know, I try to get a few snap from behind kind of thing. I never want to get faces and that sort of thing. But, but we do take pictures of people who are here serving. And they're neighbors too. We're being neighbors to each other from, from Aubrey who did an amazing job at the front. She was in charge of registration basically. She laid everything out and Hannah was helping her, but she had everything ready to go to the unsung hero Brent at 5 o'clock in the morning got here to make gravy for breakfast. And stayed in the kitchen most of the time, just making gravy for food. Keep going. The kitchen crew has their own aprons. They have become their own entity. They are their own group now. We have Abe Frome and the Sausage King. If anybody knows Ferris Bueller's Day Off, that's the Sausage King. To Biscuit Babe, to the Pancake Princess, to the Waffle Woman. And so they make breakfast. We serve breakfast to 130 130 people with the help of the youth. Jared leading them and everybody there. Yes, you can give them a clap. You can clap for all these things. Ray Hamilton and Carolyn, who can, you know, are like, we're, we're really tired. We're just going to sit down. Ray was almost dead a couple of months ago. But Ray thinks it's important enough to come out and be a part of this. And he was a big help. He was handing things out. Yeah. 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 And then you got the Kindness Matters shirt that'd be made for uh, us. And I've got a picture of that. We're all wearing them. But that's what it was all about. That's one of the things. Kindness matters. Kindness doesn't have any controls over it. It doesn't decide who it's going to be kind to. Kindness is kind. And they're all getting ready. And the line's all the way outside, all the way to the chapel already. And, and thanks to God, it did not rain. So they were able to be out there. And they wait. Some get there at 6 o'clock in the morning. Now, most of us might camp out for a concert at 6 o'clock in the morning or the night before or Black Friday. You crazy people will go and sit there for a deal that's only 10% less than you could buy two weeks later, but that's okay. That's all right. 
But these folks are just camping out for food. So here's the deal. And we were like, well, we don't know what to do with them, that kind of thing. Don't let them in the doors, that kind of thing. And let everybody else figure that out. But here's the deal. If they think it's that important to get there at 6 o'clock in the morning to get food, they must think there's a real scarcity whether they're going to have something or not. So sit there and wait. Think about that. Let that soak in about why people would think that and do that. And then they're coming in, and Ray's right there. He's on his feet. He's handing out things. And uh, about that, they got the, you got all the Boy Scouts were here helping to unload, and they're outside in the loading areas, and there were a huge amount of 406 here. There were a good amount of them. And just unpacking stuff. Never know what you're going to get. We got a ton of strawberries, and, and those strawberries, half of them were bad. So guess what had to happen? They sorted through every single strawberry. Keep going. And United Healthcare put all this on, and the biggest hit was cotton candy. Cotton candy. We're going to get our own cotton candy machine because apparently cotton candy is a huge hit. I don't mean this to kids. The adults all walked out of the giant thing of cotton candy, too. Everybody's eating cotton candy. It was amazing. And then our big thing was the carrots 50 pound bags of carrots. What are you going to do with them? Guess what you got to do with them? You bag them. You bag them. So they went over there, and a group all of a sudden ran over there and started bagging carrots, just one after another. And uh, we talked about Jerry Brothers never doing anything. And, uh, and so he was one of the first ones up. There was no bread this time. They're in charge of bread. There was no bread whatsoever. They didn't go, well, you know what? There's no bread. Let's go home. They went over and started working on the carrots. And, of course, the youth were all serving right there. And, and they were outside serving and taking t- time for just volunteers who'd been working hard and, and working on that way. And those... Three guys there and watermelon, lots of watermelon, lots of watermelon, and lots of cotton candy. These are just moments to just kind of see. And then this, this is where the Spirit of God comes. Those rare moments when it happens to happen right in front of me. Brent's talking to this guy. I don't know who it is. And they start praying right there. This white guy and this black guy. This middle class guy and this lower income guy. And the the thing the guy says at the end of it, what he says is he says, it don't matter whether we're black or white, we're all children of God. If that doesn't tell you the power of the Holy Spirit in that moment when it comes upon everybody who gathers together, it was right there. And then there's there's Jerry working hard. See, he's working really hard. That was a stage picture because Jerry was like, you're catching my seat, aren't you? I said, no, sit back in the seat and drink a drink so I can take a picture of you because you never do anything. But here's the thing. It was so interesting. So, so you may have saw this, this story from Nisla on Facebook, but on the left-hand side, we get a bunch of Bibles donated. We buy Bibles. It's one of the biggest things that people love to be able to do. And this story came out about that whole situation. This is from Nisla. Over the years, I've talked to our guests and listened to their stories, some very sad, like the the lady who lost her husband suddenly and had no food in her home. The one that touched my heart today is a lady who was asked to lead a youth group that comes from low-income families. She said it was so bad they never owned a Bible. She bakes and cooks breakfast for the children on Sundays. As she finished telling me her story, I asked her how did she find out about Feed the Need. She replied through the health department. She said on her way this morning from Trousdale County, she got lost and was going to turn back home. But somehow she ended up at the health department and the address of the church was posted on their door. My assumption was she only needed food. To my surprise, she said, I would love to have some Bibles even if they are old. We gladly provided 20 new Bibles to her to take back to the youth group. She was extremely grateful to our church for her kindness and generosity She knew God had sent her there. The Holy Spirit empowers us with what we need to be able to help people. That's objects sometimes. Not just our words or even the main thing that people are here for. Food. And so it makes you think about does the Holy Spirit rest on us when we gather together and do feed the need? Do we, in that moment gathered together, is the Holy Spirit resting on us as we get ready to go out throughout the day and be able to reach the individual people that God has already put into our path and we already know are going to be there? 
to the right people with the right stories, with the right needs at the right moment. All lined up together in one community gathered. I think it does. I think the power of the flame and the fire talkers that gather together does just that. And it gets me to ask the question, how are we empowered by the Holy Spirit for loving God and loving neighbors? That's all, folks. That's all. How are we empowered by the Holy Spirit for loving God and loving our neighbors? That is, was, and will always be the message of Pentecost. How will we be empowered to live out God's mission in our lives and the lives of others? Amen. In that whole house, you wonder what they were doing. When was the exact moment upon which this roar comes? Maybe they're eating a meal together. Maybe they're talking. Maybe imagine if they were serving communion, if they were serving, remembering the meal and gathered together, and if they were breaking bread with each other as he had taught them to do. And at that moment, the Spirit came down in that powerful way. How powerful would that be? The Spirit does come down every time that we do this and was already present here in the first place, but just swirls around this remembrance of Jesus and his acts for us, of his sacrifice and forgiveness poured out for us through this ordinary means we remember in the bread. And the sacrifice of blood, which is also red, giving his whole life for us. Not just that, but also preparing and getting them ready for when he left. And then making sure when he left, he didn't leave them abandoned. He doesn't leave us abandoned either. He has come to be present with us in these moments as well. He's always with us. I was talking to someone yesterday as we were gathered together who just needed to hear those words that God is with you. She was caring for a, a grandmother, Pearl, her name in, in Florida, had just gotten back and worked at the Methodist Church actually as an administrative assistant and just, you know, was struggling just to get her last part of her rent and wasn't asking us for it, but just, you know, just needed to know that God's presence was here and I prayed for it right back there in that alcove just in that moment. She needed to know that the presence of God was still with her, shaping her, guiding her, loving her, caring for her, comforting her. That's the power of the Holy Spirit that wraps around us. So let those come forward who are serving this morning as we gather in this place and as we pray the power of the Holy Spirit over these elements this morning, over this body broken and this blood spilled. Let us pray as those come forward to serve. Gracious God, thank you so much for the power and presence that you've given us in this simple meal, for the gift of forgiveness, for the gift of reconciliation, for the gift of repentance. Lord, just pour into us a new being, a new understanding of who you are and whose we are. Make this bread and this juice be for us the body and blood of Christ, that we might be redeemed by the body of Christ for the world. Pour into these things now with the power of your Holy Spirit. And the people of God said together, Amen. The body of Christ broken and given for us. The blood of Christ shed and spilt for new life.
come forward to receive this morning and think about as you nail these rails, what it was like to be gathered together and to feel God's presence and spirit. And let that spirit just rest on you with tongues of fire this morning. Come forward to receive.